0: For for through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. This is the very word of God to us. Thanks be to God.
1: God, thank you. Y'all are way ahead of me, better than the 8.30. Had to tell them to sit down. It's just early and folks forget. That's okay. In the 8.30, everyone has masks on. It's hard to remember what you're doing when you have a mask on. Uh, Well, good morning. It's good to see y'all, Frontline Yukon. If you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it and open up to Ephesians chapter 1. If you've got a Bible or or if you've got it on your phone, your tablet, turn it on. Uh, And uh, let me just say this, if you don't have a Bible, maybe you're here and this is your first time at church, or 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 you're you're not familiar with the church or the Bible. That is totally okay, and we would love to actually get you one. So if you can find one of the leaders after this, we would love to get you a Bible. But however you get there, turn to Ephesians one, and, and then we're gonna go to the Lord in prayer, and let's do this expectantly. Like the promises of the promise of God is that as His Word is proclaimed. It does exactly what he seeks for it to accomplish. It accomplishes exactly what he intends for it to accomplish. And he has an, int- uh, uh, an intent for this to accomplish in your life today. And so uh, let's pray expectantly. You pray for me, and I'll pray for you, and we'll see what the Lord has. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that you have revealed the truth about who you are, the reality of who we are, and, and the beauty of what you have done for us in Christ through your word. Holy Spirit, we pray that, that you would make much of Jesus, that, that you would make him really big to us uh, today as we encounter him in your word. We pray that you would satisfy us with Christ. I pray for my friends who uh, are in here and who are struggling or, or who um, aren't sure what they believe about this. God, I pray that in a, in a miraculous way this morning, you would meet them through your word. That, that maybe what they believe to be true for other people that they would see is true for them today through your word. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. It's through you that we pray. Amen. Well, uh, my name is John Murphy. For those of you who I don't know or haven't had the privilege to meet, uh, but for those of you who I have, you, you know that if you ask me the question, hey, where are you from, it's often very difficult for me to answer that question, right? I'll, I'll be like, well, how much time do you have? and I it I, if I, I tend to like make jokes about it, but it does sometimes create me some create me some angst because I just don't know how to answer the question. And my dad was in the military; we moved around a fair bit, uh, and, and then I was in the military. And so the the answer the army would give me is home is wherever we decide to send you. And, and in a lot of ways, like that feels true, but it, it does create this angst. See, there's there's a longing in me that isn't met in the way that I desire it to be met. Like, there's a desire in me for for home, for a place, and for a people. I want to think of, like, typically I think about how other people answer that question. I'm like, man, I would love to have grown up in the same house, on the same street, and you're like, my dad was here, and my granddaddy, and his granddaddy before him. There's this longing for a, a place and a people, for family and home. You see this longing actually in every, uh, not every country song, but all the good ones, right? So you got to indulge me a little bit. I love country, and when I say I love country, I mean typically pre-1995 like country, right? The good stuff. So think about this. The great John Denver, in his classic Take Me Home Country Roads," sings, I won't sing. Country roads take me home to the place I belong. Waylon Jennings in his classic, Lukenbach, Texas. Great song, though Texas is not a great state. Let's go to Lukenbach, Texas with Waylon and Willie and the boys. Out in Lukenbach, Texas, there ain't nobody feeling no pain. Miss Dolly Parton in her incredible My Tennessee Mountain Home sings in my Tennessee Mountain Home, Life is as peaceful as a baby's sigh. The great Johnny Cash in the little-known My Old Kentucky Home sings, oh, the sun shines bright on my old Kentucky home. Keep them hard times away from my door. Can you feel the, like, nostalgia and the longing and a bit of the manipulation in country music? Last and probably least because it's the most recent country song. Red Dirt Road by Brooks and Dunn. It's where I wrecked my first car. It's where I found Jesus that red dirt road. Like, I, I'd venture to guess that in many of you, th- this is reflective of some sort of a longing that you have that might be totally unmet or certainly isn't met maybe in the way that we think. We all long for a place and a people, for, for a home and a family. And, and if we're honest, nothing seems to quite satisfy that longing. You see this because we tend to get nostalgic and we idealize home. You'll talk about home like it's this just incredible place and you never believe where I came from, everything was great. And then maybe as an adult you have this experience where you go home and you're like, huh, it's not quite what I remember. Everything seemed a lot bigger when I was three feet tall, right? Like one of the places that we lived growing up, I thought as a kid my backyard was this incredible magical forest. There was this big, beautiful river that went through it. And going back there as an adult, I'm like, there's like 20 trees back here in a pretty gross creek that actually judged my parents that they let me go wander and wade in that. (laughs) That is not what I thought it was, but I tend to idealize it. Oh, that place was so incredible. It's because in all of us, there's a longing that is unmet, a longing for a home and for a family. A few weeks ago, we started this series called Metaphors for the Church. What we see is that Jesus answers the two great questions that you and I have. Who am I and what's my purpose? Who am I and what do I do? And he answers these questions through giving us these pictures, giving us these metaphors for what the church is, his people. And so we saw that the church is the bride of Christ. We saw over the past couple weeks that the church is the body of Christ. And today we'll begin looking at this metaphor that the church is the family of God. The church is the family of God. So two parts for the sermon today. The first is I want you to see that we were created for something different than what we experience. Then the second is I want you to see God's work to bring us home and to give us a family. So that first part, we're created for something different than what we experience. The Bible begins with family and home, with this perfect place. And the Garden of Eden at the beginning of the Bible is so much more than just a place. It is a home that God shaped and created with so much love and intent. And then he creates Adam and Eve. He makes them family, and he brings them to this perfect home that God has created for them. We see in the Garden of Eden the Adam and Eve They walked perfectly with God. They had a unique relationship with God, and they walked perfectly with each other. Adam and Eve were family. God was their father, and Eden was their perfect home. If you're not familiar with the story of the Bible in Genesis 3, all of that is wrecked. All of that comes undone. Adam and Eve decide together that they're going to rebel against God, really that they know better for their lives uh, than what God knows for their lives. Right? If you're a kid in here, maybe you've got rules from your parents, and, and, and these rules, you, you often think, like, I think I know better than my parents do. They're kind of old fogies. They're not that wise. Or this is what Adam and Eve do. They rebel against God, and it breaks everything. And God forces them to leave this perfect home. And we see this in Genesis three twenty three. It says, therefore, the Lord God sent him, Adam, out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and turned, uh, he drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Adam and Eve, think of this picture, are, are moved from their perfect home to the east of their home, and where, friends, you and I find ourselves is on that east side of Eden. I imagine that Adam and Eve probably had memories of what their perfect home were like, was like, but unlike us, it was actually perfect. They weren't idealizing it. They weren't just getting nostalgic. They had experience of a perfect home. Now they're east of Eden. And the reality is, all of us on this east side of Eden do everything that we can to try to make this our perfect home. Because we have a longing for a home and for a family. And so we'll do what we can. This is why we so ferociously sacrifice everything that we can to gain money and possessions, to climb that career ladder. Because there's this desire, like, I'm going to provide safety and security. I'm going to provide a place for my family that maybe I didn't experience growing up. That desire is one that God has placed in us. But, friends, nothing this side of glory will meet that desire because you and I, like Adam and Eve, find ourselves on the east side of Eden. And things aren't what we were made for. We were made for a perfect home and a perfect family. And the great question of the Old Testament as the story continues to unfold is God makes these promises that he's going to be with his people in a unique and special way and, and we're left like, well, here you have this holy creator God that he's telling the people, you, you, you can't get too close to me. My, my holiness will consume you because you're imperfect. And the people, no matter what they do, can't be faithful. I find in the people of Israel kindred spirits to my own, because the story of my life is faithful God, faithless John. And the story of the people of Israel is faithful God, faithless people. So we're left with the question, what is God going to do to make this relationship right? Well, that brings us to the second part of today's sermon. I want you to see God's work to bring us home and to give us a family. God the Father Send God's, sends God the son to rescue his people and to bring us home, to bring us into his family. This is what uh, the apostle John, as he writes the good news about the life and ministry of Jesus in, in uh, the, the gospel of John, he says this right at the very beginning, like he wants us to know from the very beginning what's going on. John 1 verse 9, the true light, speaking of Jesus, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world. And the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Like, he he came to his people, his family, and his family didn't receive him. They rejected him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, in the name of Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God, God the Father sends God the Son to rescue his people and to bring us into the family of God. This is in the text that you heard read earlier in Ephesians 1. This is what Paul is trying to help the church understand. He's writing to this church and he wants them to know... All that the triune God, the Father, the Son, the Spirit has done in eternity past to bring them into the family of God. And so he just begins this really long run-on sentence where he's, he's expounding these blessings. Look at Ephesians 1 verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You're blessed by the Father through the work of Christ. What Paul wanted the church to get and what he wants us to get, church, is that the blessing of of God is upon you. Like every spiritual blessing, not a few, not some, not just as many as you can handle, all of them are given to you in Christ. God is a Father who doesn't hold back at all. He continues on in verse 4 and says, Even as He, God, chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. You're not just blessed by the Father, you're chosen and adopted. You're chosen and adopted. So think about this. In Genesis 1, when God begins to speak the universe into existence, and he speaks the sun and the stars and the earth and the waters and the mountains and the animals, all of that, before God spoke any of that into existence, he had you in his mind and on his heart. Like, that's unfathomable to me that God, in eternity past, knowing what a buffoon I would be, like knowing how I would blow it, how I would get it wrong, how I would be faithless, said, I'm making the decision because of my ferocious love that I'm going to set my love on you. I'm going to pre-love you. Before he spoke anything into existence, you were in his mind and in his heart. He had a plan to come rescue you. You're chosen, but you're not just chosen by God. You're adopted by God, brought into the family of God by a good father. This is what changes. Like in, when Jesus, when the disciples come to Jesus and they're like, would you teach us how to pray? He starts it and says, pray to God like this, our father. I find that that's difficult for most people to pray. Most people when they pray, are saying, God, Lord, whatever it is. I think, it's, I think it's telling that it's so difficult for people to say, Father. That's intimate. That's different. And that's what Jesus intended. He's saying, no, you can come through me, through your older brother, to God as Father. As Father. Now, this is difficult for a number of reasons. But I, I think one of the primary ones is it is very difficult to see God as father without seeing him through the lens through which you see your own earthly father, be that good or bad. Maybe you had a great dad, and so approaching God as father is like, man, I had a good dad. I have great memories of that. Maybe if you're honest, you had a horrible father, an absent father, a father who was never there in the way that you wanted him to be there, who never spoke blessing over you, always demanded more and more and more. You were never enough. Or you didn't have a dad, don't have a dad. It's difficult, and maybe what the Spirit wants to do in you today is to say, you've got a good father. He's a good father, utterly different than your earthly dad. He loves you, he's for you, he set his love on you, eternity past, and has rescued you. You're chosen and adopted by God. Now, the question is, how, does this ha- how did this happen? Well, Paul continues in Ephesians 1. And again, remember, friends, he, he's, he's set all these spiritual blessings in Christ. They're all yours. Here's some more. Ephesians 1, verse 7. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Our rebellion, just like Adam and Eve, is forgiven through Jesus Christ, through his blood, which he lavished on us. This forgiveness in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. You're blessed by the Father. You're chosen and adopted by the Father, and you're redeemed and forgiven by the Father through the work of your older brother Jesus. You're redeemed and forgiven. But think about this, God decided in your slavery to sin and my slavery to sin to say, no, I'm going to rescue, I'm going to pay the price for your rebellion, you're redeemed and forgiven. That's how we're brought into the family of God, through the finished work of our older brother Jesus. Now think about this, it's not God coming and saying, here's all that you need to do to show yourself worthy to be in my family, but isn't that how we often relate to God? Like there's stuff that we got to do to earn our way into his family or to show him now that we're in the family that we deserve to be in the family. That's not how adoption works, friends. If you've adopted a child or you have friends who have adopted a child, let me tell you what doesn't happen. They don't go overseas, they don't go to an adoption agency here and be like, hey, bring all all the kids who are ready to be adopted, line them up right here and I'm going to start choosing This one, he looks like he could be a linebacker one day. You step forward. You you look super smart. Step forward. You're going to make my name great again. Like, that is not how adoption works. Adoptive parents love, pursue, set set their love and their eyes on. They sacrifice greatly for a child that they've never met. And in many cases, don't know if that child exists or not. That's how adoption works. God the Father, through no effort of your own, good or bad, sets his love on you and brings you into his family through the finished work of your older brother Jesus. Think about this. God the Father says to God the Son, Go get them. Go bring them home. They're mine. They're my children. Go bring them home. You are redeemed and forgiven. Flip over to Ephesians 2, verse 17. Paul says this, again, just expounding on the beauties of the gospel. He says, and he, Christ, came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, hear this, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household or the family of God. You're brought into the family of God not as a guest, not as a slave, not as a servant, but as a son with all the rights of a son and a daughter as an heir with Christ, your older brother. So w- when I grew up, I'd often go into the homes of other friends. And, and you know this as a kid, there's always, and maybe you were this family, but like, there's always that family that it seems like their door is always open, their fridge is always filled. They got treats that your parents won't even tell you exist. Dunkaroos, didn't find out about those since I was a teenager. Go over there, they got pizza rolls, taquitos. This place is great. The bed that they throw on the floor is more comfortable than your normal bed at home. You're like, I want to be here, but the reality is they're like, you're welcome here. You're part of the family, but you kind of exist there like they're being really nice, but I don't really belong here, and they all know I don't belong here. That's not how it works in the family. But I think that's often how we relate, that Jesus really came, and there's other sons and daughters of God who are more important, and you're there because God's letting you be a part of his family, but everyone can kind of look around and be like, yeah, you don't really belong. That is not the heart of the Father for you. Friends, your heart may be cold to the Father, but his is not cold towards you. You've been brought into a family. I want you to pause for a second. I know we're uncomfortable with awkward silence, but maybe we need a bit. Think about this. Let it sink, maybe from your head down into your heart. Through the work of Christ, God is your father. Jesus is your older brother. You have a family. You belong. If you're in here and you would say, I, I don't know how I feel about all this. I'm, I'm drawn to it, but I'm not sure I'm there. Maybe you would say, I've got some doubts. Or you would say, I'm, I'm a seeker. I'm trying to figure it out, but I just don't know. The longing of your soul for a home and a family is met by a loving father who's done everything to bring you back home. He doesn't stand over you and make demands. He opens his arms and says, come home into my family. Jesus, your older brother says, I've done everything. It's finished. There's no work left to be done by you to deserve this. I've done it all. The father wants you to come home The question for you is, how will you respond? The Father's invitation is, I want you in my family. Your older brother Jesus has done everything necessary for you to be in the family. Listen, can I just encourage you, don't leave here without engaging those questions. Maybe you're like, oh, yeah, but if you only knew, talk with somebody. Don't leave. Like my prayer, my hope for you is that the Lord makes you so unsettled that you can't can't do anything else. Do work with the Father. Talk with one of us. We would love to talk with you. If you're a follower of Jesus, let me ask you this question. How does this make you feel? How's this hitting? Like how's it sitting with you? When you think about your older brother Jesus, what do you think he thinks of you? How do you think he feels? Do you think he feels disappointed? Do you think he feels regret when he thinks about rescuing you? Do you think he feels like, man, you're just not living up to the potential. You're not bearing our name well. You're the black sheep of this family. Do you think your older brother came to rescue you begrudgingly? Luckily, these aren't subjective questions. Like, we don't have to just wonder or answer them for ourselves. The author of Hebrew gives us this answer in Hebrews 2, verse 10. For in bringing many sons and daughters, hear this. For in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was entirely appropriate that God, for whom and through whom all things exist, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For the one who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one Father. This is Jesus' thought. This is why Jesus is not Ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. You may have family members that are ashamed to call you brother or sister. You may have memories of a dad saying, I'm ashamed that you're my son. I'm ashamed that you're my daughter. Jesus feels none of that. No matter what you've done, He is not ashamed to call you brother or sister. Friends, with tender mercy in his eyes, with loving kindness in his heart, Jesus, your older brother, stared down the brutality and the shame of the cross that you deserve to hang on, and he went there willingly. Joyfully, for the joy set before him, Scripture tells us, he endured the shame to rescue you and and me, to bring us home, and to give us a family. And his message to you today is: you're home. You have a family. You're wanted. You're called by name. You belong. Church, we are the family of God. Jesus, thank you. There aren't words to express the gratitude that we have for what you've done, that you as our older brother left your home to bring us back to the home we were created for. Spirit, I pray that by your work, these truths might need themselves into our very being, that they wouldn't be just things that we know to be true in an ethereal sense, but that we would have an experience of what it means and what it feels like to be your children, I pray for my friends in here who, who if they're honest, their heart has grown cold to you. The, The beauties of the gospel and the beauties of their adoption don't quite make them feel the way that they used to. And I thank you for the truth that though our hearts may grow cold, yours never does. I pray that we would experience the heart of a good father, a loving father who's brought us into the family that we've always longed to be in, and one day we'll return to make this the perfect place that you've created for us. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.